0: The Center for Interfaith Cooperation in Indianapolis, Indiana, is dedicated to building peaceful dialogue among and between different faith communities with the help of a diverse board of faith leaders who have incredible stories that inform their interfaith work. Today we have Don Kniebel. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Rachel. Great to be here. So good to
0: have you. And to start, I would love to hear your history with the CIC and what that has looked like.
1: Well, my history actually with Interface starts before CIC, which I think is an important part of the story. Uh, I grew up Methodist in a small town in Indiana, Uh, had very little contact with people of other faiths, Uh, joined the Zionsville Presbyterian Church, and in 2006, the church took a group to Israel, which was my first time in the Middle East. Got to know something about Jewish history in February of 2007. My wife and I went to Egypt where our tour guide was Muslim and began talking to her about her tradition. And she said, you know, Don, if I'd have been born in the United States, I'd probably be a Christian. And if you'd been born in Egypt, you'd probably be a Muslim. And I said, that's probably probably Mm -hmm. right. Uh, From there, we became more interested in religious traditions. So we went to India uh, in 2009, went to Turkey in 2009. And... When I came back, people would ask me to do do talks and presentations about what I was learning, and I began focusing those those presentations on the differences and similarities in religions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that fact came to the attention of some people at Purdue, where I am a was an engineering graduate in the in the 60s, and they said that a Purdue electrical engineering alum not alumnus, named Masher, um uh, Marwan Masher, who was the first Jordanian ambassador to Egypt, to uh, Israel. Was coming back to Indiana Wanted to know if I would host a Presentation that he was going to make And I said sure That's right among the things I'm interested in So my law firm At the time was Barnes and Thornburg I sponsored an event at Barnes and Thornburg We brought people from the community To talk about Israel And Palestine And Jordan and among the people in the audience Was Charlie Wiles Mm. who, Who heard this presentation And after the I took a group to the Columbia Club, we talked about interfaith, and Jane Gellhausen was in that meeting, Charlie was in the meeting, and sometime after that, probably in the spring of 2011, Charlie came to me and said, Don, I have this idea for the Center for Interfaith Cooperation. You seem like you have an interest in that. And, and he knew from that that I'd been involved in a lot of community activities, including the United Way board. And he said, why don't you help me start this organization? So I said, sure, that's what, what that's what
0: happened. Nice. Were there some challenges to starting that or was it?
1: Well, we had no idea what we were doing because <laughs> we we had no money. Uh, CIC had no money. We had a they had a corporate registration of the state of Indiana. did not yet have, have a tax exempt status. Uh, Charlie had had been involved in some interfaith activities, but had never really been involved in starting an organization Mm. of this magnitude. And so we talked about sort of what the board structure would look like, and we decided we wanted a lot of board members so that we could have a lot of representations of different faiths. So we settled on 40 board members.
0: Gotcha.
1: And I sat down and drafted a set of bylaws that would define this organization and we went to the next Bank of Naples where I had an account we got a $20,000 line of credit
0: Very good. and that's
1: how we got started
0: amazing has there been a lot of great feedback from the community and just well i
1: think the fact that interest... so many people have been willing to join our board i mean we we've had approximately 40 people as board members and we have a term limits so we've had more and more people coming onto the board uh, we are always asked to go out into the community and talk about interfaith. Our board members are on speaking uh, uh, circuits. Uh, I was be part of, a part of this about two years ago, asked to go to South Bend and be a speaker at their National Day of Prayer, which I talked about interfaith. Other people are getting opportunities to do that. So yeah, it's been a pretty popular undertaking. Uh, we went from having a, a budget of $20,000 on the line of credit to we're up in the, in the four or five $600,000 range now.
0: Look at y'all, that's, that's pretty, awesome. It's really pretty amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. So what is your faith journey in specifically, and maybe what, I know you talked a lot about traveling and stuff, but was there something before that that um, made you interested in just pursuing faith as a concept? Well, as I
1: said, Rachel, I grew up Methodist in a very small town in Indiana where, where we had two, you either went to the Methodist church or you went to the Catholic church. And so my, my parents were Protestants, and so we went to the, to the Methodist church. Uh, I went off to college, had very little religious experience in college, came back, had very little connection to any church until I, my daughter uh, was able to, to understand. And I thought we, we ought to get her some religious tradition. So I started going to the Zionsville Presbyterian Church. Uh, but I'd always been interested in religious history, biblical history. I've always thought of myself if I came back in a different life, I would be an archaeologist. And so I was reading (laughs) something called the Biblical Archaeological Review and got a pretty good sense of biblical history. So that's when I went to Israel and actually saw some of those sites, Uh, began to get a better sense of the common traditions of our religions. And that sense really developed more completely when I went to Egypt uh, in the spring of 2007 and saw how many of the religious traditions of, of Christians and Muslims really derive ultimately for, from views that the Egyptians had two, three, four thousand years uh, ago. So it was that idea that I've sort of carried forward, and I speak now an awful lot about religious traditions, religious origins. I'm actually working right now on a series of presentations that I'll give in the, in the spring at the Second Presbyterian Church on the sort of the history of Satan, the history of hell, the history of of heaven and the history of the final judgment many of which tie back to other traditions so I've that's been my Mm -hmm. interest
0: very cool awesome how have you seen maybe um, your profession in law and your interest in faith kind of inform each other or? Well, they,
1: they certainly ab- inform the ability to quickly do research that other people, I think, wouldn't have the skills to do. If you're a lawyer, you have to read an awful lot of materials quickly mm. and summarize them into something that's, that's coherent. And you don't have to read the entire book. You, you quickly learn, you don't have to read, <laughs> look, read the entire case. You you can quickly use indices and keywords and things like that. So that's one of the things that's done. The other thing I think that the law professional creates in you is a is a sense of trying to find the, the history of things trying to find out where things come from what was the origin of some of our traditions of heaven and hell and hmm. and Satan and so I, I think is that curiosity that sort of informed what I've been doing
0: yeah definitely have you found ever that it's hard to live out your faith on a day-to-day basis through your profession or just the no I don't think I of... when
1: I when I many 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 years ago told a at that time, probably 90 year old aunt that I was going to go to law school. She thought that I had just committed the gravest possible sin because she couldn't imagine that there were ethical lawyers out there that, that really could maintain consistency with their faith tradition. That just turns out not to mm. be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many, many, many uh, lawyers of all different faiths that are perfectly able to practice their faith within their tradition. They just have to do it in a way that's consistent with their with their ethics and their morals,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I think I've yeah, always done. Sense. Yeah try to try to not sure i've always been successful try to
0: (laughs) there you go and i've always been curious too so looking at christianity as a faith in some natures it can be exclusive in just the language and looking at this is the way that you um get to heaven Mm -hmm. by following this um, savior so how do you understand that and reconcile that with your work in interfaith
1: well i have a talk rachel that i give called What Truth Can Set Us Free? And the conclusion is that, that we can have multiple truths. L- let me just give you an example of that. If you say to a Buddhist, following Jesus is the only way to heaven, their response will be, well, I don't have any sense of heaven to begin with, so why would that be important to mm-hmm. me, right? Yeah. Uh, or if you were to say to somebody, a Muslim, for example, that, that Jesus can be your savior, The answer is i don't need a savior all i have to do is lead a moral life so all of those things can be equally true to the people who have those beliefs they just don't they just simply don't have to be true to everybody it's impossible to explain to a buddhist how jesus is the key to heaven when your belief system has no heaven in it Mm -hmm. or no hell in it so so you have to sort of make sure that these truths are in your own tradition because if you try to take them to other cultures, they won't make any sense to those people. So mm-hmm. if you have a belief in a heaven and a hell, or a heaven and a not hell, or any kind of a belief in an afterlife, then the idea of Jesus being the only way to that afterlife may make sense to you. But it doesn't make sense to somebody who doesn't have an afterlife in their future.
0: Yeah, fair point. <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> so that's how I try to reconcile this, Rachel, which is I have this idea that that you can have multiple truths in fact i use as an example the fact that we still today with our incredible science still don't know how to describe light we sometimes describe it as a wave sometimes describe it as a particle Mm -hmm. they're inconsistent with each other einstein says they're both true well if we don't have the ability to determine what light really is i don't think we have an ability as human beings to determine the ultimate truth is we just have to get comfortable with the fact that our version is good for us and people right. like us. Yeah. That's my view of
0: the world. I like that. So through conversations, maybe in your travels or with the CIC, has anything stood out or any great stories come of it?
1: Well, I think the thing that was most remarkable as I thought about, think back about it is this long discussion I had with a the tour guide in Egypt who was a, a Muslim woman, a very articulate, practicing Muslim woman who was also a woman uh, and, and saw herself as a woman. And we talked about religion and we talked about Moses and we talked about Islam. We talked about Christianity. And that's when she said to me, Don, if you'd been born in Egypt, you'd be Muslim today. And I said, if you'd been born in the United States, mm-hmm. you'd be Christian today. We had that, that exchange and that's true uh And so well, if I'd had been born in Egypt, I would have been speaking Arabic. but she had been born in the United States, she would have been speaking English. And so it sort of came to me that our religions are, are something we're born into, just like we're born into our language. Yeah. And so we don't typically pick our religions. we're picked the religions pick us by where we're born. And so, nobody ever says, well, is Arabic true or is English true? Hmm. It's just what we have, it's just what we're born into. And so, we can make the best of that of that history, that environment, but we can't go out and say, but somebody else's religion can't be true, because we were born into ours and they were born into theirs.
0: Yeah. Does that shake your faith at all, realizing that it's all circumstance?
1: Well, I don't think it shakes my faith. It it shakes my my confidence that I can say to anyone else from a different tradition that, that mine is the only version of truth mm-hmm. or that they can say that to me. I can certainly say within the tradition I was born into, I'm trying to make the best of that. I... Uh, go to church i do the things that christians do i expect them to go to the mosque or go to their temples to do the things that muslims and hindus do mm-hmm. uh and i don't have any more in my opinion any more ability to say that what they're believing is wrong than i have the ability to say that their language is wrong they're simply different ways of looking at the world
0: yeah interesting perspective i like it a lot
1: uh and, and by the way that doesn't say anything about my faith because my faith is, is sort of who i am it's it i it comes up with me it came from where i was born where i was raised mm-hmm. uh and to say i i it would it would make no sense to me to say well i could become a hindu or i could become a buddhist or i could become a muslim it just wouldn't fit it just mm-hmm. wouldn't fit who i am
0: yeah there have been like claims from certain theologians from what i've read that it is a language like it's synonymous it, to is, a so con- it is a language it is conversion is very hard
1: it see. is a language and I think people sometimes have this view that, well, if I'm exposed to Islam, I know people who want to pick up a Quran. If I'm exposed to Islam, it will somehow rub off on me or it will challenge my faith. Hmm. Well, learning a second language doesn't mean you lose the first one. It does not make you less articulate in your first language. Sure, yeah. It's just a second language and it'll always be your second language. And so you can learn as much as you want about other religions. And it, it doesn't sort of shake your faith in the truth of what you believe. Uh, any more than you're going to someone else and saying I would like to tell you about my religion will typically shake their belief in what they believe. Mm -hmm. Conversions, real serious conversions, not based on force, not based on fear, are very, very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. It's as difficult as saying to somebody, I'm going to change your language so that when you think you'll no longer think in your original language, it's very, very difficult.
0: I can imagine. Yeah. And two, so looking at interfaith as a concept, what do you see as some of the... where that fits in, I guess, in like the current world and what that's looking like and maybe here in the United States and the importance that interfaith means.
1: Well, certainly in the United States and and probably all around the world, we're more and more and more unfortunately seeing the religion is being used to divide people, being used to provide a basis for hating people. I think this is clear in Islam where the Sunnis and the Shias are, are fighting each other because of their beliefs. But it's certainly true in the United States where we where we have a rise in anti-Semitism. It's, we have a, a sense now that perhaps some Christians, the fundamentalists, are, are different or perhaps should be feared compared to the more progressive Christians. So our religions are being used not to divide us. And that's that's unfortunate because we all have within our beliefs things that could unite us, but we don't use them that way. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's probably part of human nature that we look for reasons to, (coughs) excuse me, fear people with other beliefs, but it's an unfortunate part of human nature. So part of the Center for Interfaith Cooperation's goal is to make sure that people understand that they can have different beliefs and still be friends with people. I mean, one of the extraordinary things that we've learned as we brought together the board members with different faiths is that once the board members see each other as human beings, with the same concerns that they do, they begin to look beyond those faith faith differences.
0: Mm -hmm. How do you think we can, because with the Center for Interfaith Cooperation, it attracts people interested in interfaith, right? So how can we try and expand this interest to allow those that may be comfortable in their own, um, surrounded by people who are similar to them, how can we make them more um, comfortable and willing to go out. And well,
1: I think that's just, to, I think I think CIC is now at a point where we're beginning to think that we can expand these ideas beyond simply our board members. We can take this out to, to hospital chaplains, for example. Hospital chaplains mm-hmm. today are seeing people whose face they do not understand and mm-hmm. that they have to comfort them when they're dying. Well, it's hard to comfort somebody when they're dying who's not a Christian, you cannot, you cannot say, well, you're going to get to go see Jesus because this person doesn't believe that. Right. So you've got to be able to talk the language of the person's faith. So we're tr- CIC is now trying to think how can we do that? Uh, how can we go out as we, we could take this idea to seminaries and as people learn Christianity in a seminary, we could say, okay, you're going to have to from time to time deal with people of other traditions to answer your question. How can you learn that Jesus is the only source of salvation? To a, and how can you communicate to a person for whom salvation is a meaningless concept? So I think CIC is beginning to try to figure out how can we really expand this thought beyond our board members into people mm-hmm. who have a faith tradition, uh, whether it's the one we have or not. That's that's a challenge. It's, uh, it's going to take money. It's going to take resources. It's going to take people. But that's the goal.
0: Yeah, and that is hard. So looking at your time on the board, have there been any great interactions of people of different faiths that oh, come Oh my to goodness.
1: Mind? I mean, I, I mean, every time I've met somebody on the board from a different tradition, i become really good friends with India Joshi, who's obviously a, a Hindu. I had interactions with uh, K.P. Singh, who's a Sikh. And then, so when I went to India on one of my trips, I actually sought out the Sikh uh, golden temple in and reached their India because I knew of his tradition and got a better sense of that so every year inter- I've gotten to be really good friends of Ruth Ellen Homer who's a who's a Mormon and learned a lot about her faith tradition in fact I was invited uh, by her to come to the to the opening before they consecrated the temple and and she had me cool. interview some people uh, with some reporters from Chicago about my experience there so I've it's just been a wonderful experience of interacting with people with different beliefs and trying to understand that the beliefs do not define them anymore and their language defines
0: them. Mm-hmm, yeah, nice. And with your travels, what is one of the best places that you've been?
1: You know, I, for, I <laughs> have been to, I don't know, 45 or so company, uh, countries. I write a weekly column on travel. I've written about 40 of those. I read every week. Oh, wow. For, for me, the most interesting place was probably Egypt where they have religious art going back to 2500 BC and you can see how so many of the traditions of all the religions the idea of a final judgment the idea of a soul all can go back to those early egyptian Mm. beliefs uh they uh they looked at multiple gods but they all had this sense that perhaps they're all manifestations of the same one god that that we believe so uh, for me that's the most fascinating i mean i've been to a lot of fascinating places i've been to Syria in 2010 to places that no longer exist because they are destroyed during the Civil War. Uh, Learned something about the connection between Syria and early Christian history, but I think for me the most fascinating place to go, especially in the context of interfaith was, was Egypt.
0: Very neat. And two to summarize, so interfaith to you. What in a succinct two or three sentences, what does it mean?
1: Well, interfaith to me means that we're not defined by our traditions. Our traditions have defined us based on where we were born. And we cannot assume people of different faith are any less devout than we are, any less committed to faith than we are, any less good moral people than we are. Uh, I think the thought that, that people cannot be moral unless they believe a particular faith, that if we didn't have the Ten Commandments, we would be murderers, I think that's just a false premise. Uh, I think we've used our religions to help us articulate our values. I think we've used our religions to help us enforce those values. But I don't think our basic human values come from our religion. I think they come from our humanity.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Rachel. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, it was awesome hearing your thoughts. And stay tuned, listeners, for other stories from other board members. Visit the Center for Interfaith for more information and ways to get involved. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned.